Being healthy, 3 John 2, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health. We've been looking at this from the standpoint of three areas whereby which health is manifested in us. First of all, a right sense of being defined well, being authentic, knowing who you are, and then having the confidence in Christ to live that identity. The second is competence. Knowing that you're good at something. And we looked at that and we we said, you know, I don't have to be great at everything. But aren't you glad that God has gifted us and he's made us pretty good at a few things? But then we looked at connection. We've been talking about community. And last week, as we began to talk about this, the challenge of being what I call connected and conflicted. And I made a statement some weeks ago that you cannot be a practicing disciple apart from community. And this is the place where your discipleship is expressed. Once again, we are all spiritual giants until we get around somebody else. Because somebody else aggravates us. And as long as you're by yourself and you've got your Bible and everything's great at 72 degrees and the humidity's right and everything, I mean, you can be a spiritual giant until somebody climbs on your last nerve. And that's when your sanctification. <laughs> Whee! All right, moving on. But the only way your life can reflect what you believe is in the context of doing it together. The New Testament Three primary components. It's a story about Jesus. It's about doing life empowered by the Holy Spirit. The life that we live, we we live by faith in the Son of God who now lives on the inside of us. And then the third component that really makes up the New Testament is how we work all this out together. What does it look like? Now, I'm not saying that there are not other things in the New Testament, but these seem to be the three primary themes. We looked at the glorious dynamic community of Acts 2, 3, and 4. We get over to Acts 5, and we got folks falling dead because they're lying about their offering. We get over to Acts 6, and we find the first real challenge as God is putting together a multicultural people. Once again, there's a challenge there in terms of how different groups of folk live together, and the issues of money and benevolence come up. We see the wisdom of God in terms of how they navigated that moment. But the issue is when conflict occurs, not not in like when the day of evil comes, but when conflict occurs, how do we navigate through it? Last week we looked at it. We do it, one, from the heart, love deeply. Two, we love as brothers, family. And again, brothers pound the fire out of one another. They roll around on the floor and they just, they do horrible things to each other. But when it's all said and done, they're still brothers. We forgive. We learn that there's a self-imposed curse that comes when we don't forgive. It says that we're not forgiven. Number four, we forbear. And I define that as preemptive forgiveness. Meaning we realize, you know what, you're probably going to hurt me again. But you know what? I love you anyway. And I'm not going anywhere. Forbearance. We learned about forgetting as the real measure of what forgiveness is really all about. Because you know, I know we had a thing, but I don't remember what the thing was now. 
So I guess we're good. Forgetting is when you can look at that person and you can pronounce blessing over them rather than God. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Just be God right now. And it'd be all right with you just being, oh, just do, get, just instead of going medieval, God, just get Old Testament on them for a minute. Would you do that? But tonight I want to move on to what I call the fence of offense. Proverbs 18, verse 19, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Matthew 18, 7, woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. The Greek word there is the word scandalon. Yes, where we get our word scandal from. And the picture there in the original language is that it is literally a stick or trigger of a trap. How many of you know that the devil's got a lot of traps for you and me? Amen? That's why we need to be operating fluently in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, discernment, eyes of the Spirit, so that we can see that no weapon formed against us will prosper. We, we know that, but that doesn't mean that there's not weapons, there are not traps that are out there. Let me just say to you, offense has to be one of the easiest traps to trip for a believer. It's right there. Scandal on. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 through 26. A lot of scripture, but they're on the screen. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Listen to that. It doesn't say just be gentle to the people that you like that are in your oikos, your immediate group of folk, your family. It says be gentle to all. And let me just tell you, there's a lot of really aggravating, ignorant folk out there (laughs) who have some real bad ideas about life. Nod your head. But it says that we're to be what? Gentle to all able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those. In humility, correcting. That almost sounds oxymoronic, doesn't it? How do you correct somebody in humility? Because basically what you're saying is, you're wrong. Which basically means, I'm right. How do you do that in humility? Correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captivity by him to do his will. Matthew 24, 10, and the many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. But how many of you know that this is not the community that God has intended the way that we live together in community is living in offense. John Bevere wrote a tremendous book about this entitled The Bait of Satan. And this is a quote from that book. 
If I have expectations about certain persons, those people can let me down. They will disappoint me to the degree that they fall short of my expectations. But if I have no expectations about someone, anything given is a blessing and not something owed. We set ourselves up for offense when we require certain behaviors from those with whom we have relationships. The more we expect, the greatest the potential for offense. Isn't that the truth? It's the people that we have allowed the, into the closest quarters of our lives that we have through shared life that we've become intimate with. The ones that we have the highest expectations for, they're the ones, guess what, that can hurt us the most. Hello? Nobody can hurt me like my wife. Now, I'm married to an amazing woman, but she knows where every chink in my chunky armor is. She knows exactly, surgically, because she's lived with me long enough, Pastor Donnell. She's lived with me long enough. She knows exactly what to say. Matter of fact, husbands and wives, we don't even need to say it anymore. You with me? All we need is a little body language. As you reach for the third donut and she just lets one eyelid go up a little bit. like when David Hermes' wife told him some years ago, honey, you're getting thick. (laughs) Thick. She said it. I was grieved. (laughs) And we still need to bring her in front of the elders of the church. (laughs) Bring some correction for that. Call my man thick. Can't believe it. But the ones that we get the closest to, they're the ones that can hurt us the most. For a very simple reason, they're the ones we put the expectations in. And husbands and wives, we have, we have the unique capacity to do that to one another, do we not? Because we know all the secret spots of, of wounding. It's places where we've allowed ourselves to be uncovered with a handful of people. And this is one of the reasons why folks are so slow to come into community, to commit, to understand what the bounds of covenant really look like One to the next because they say, you know what, been there, done that, hurts too much, thank you very much, I think I'll pass. Let me just tell you, though, that's a very lonely existence. It's very lonely. Said very simply, offenses simply grow from failed expectations. Offenses grow from failed expectations. Relationships. Rise and fall on met and unmet expectations, whether spoken or unspoken. Come on, husbands. Those unspoken expectations. Mm, mm, mm. Now, my wife asked me to take out the garbage and I don't do it. We're good with that. Okay, I got it. Baby, I'm sorry. It's on the way out. But it's when it's those little things that she just assumes that you know that you don't do. It's those unspoken, unmet expectations. Well, I didn't know. Now, ladies, I love you. We, I mean, seriously, we're, please hear me here. 
but you got to help us. Because us men, we're not real intuitive. We're not smart. All the ladies are going, yeah, I know that. Amen to that. I, ladies, you don't have to agree quite so quickly, all right? Just, I'm, laying, I'm laying myself bare here. here. Just, just, just don't, don't trample on my heart, all right? It's like a country song. The words, I assumed. There's some words. I assumed. Second Kings chapter 5 is one of the most probably well-told stories in Scripture about a man that assumed Naaman, the commander of an army, had a leprosy problem. And through a series of events found out that there was possibility of, of healing. Now understand that leprosy in those days, it was, the, it was the AIDS of that moment. Long before we had any way of treating that disease. But think AIDS 20 years ago. Everybody freaking out. Ah! I was pastoring a church when our, in North Carolina when our, our first known AIDS or HIV positive person showed up in our church. I mean, all the health professionals, Pastor Brett, they went nuts. I had Purell stations every six feet. I mean, we were, we were going to wear rubber gloves in the nursery. I mean, it got really strange. Let me just tell you, people were terrified. Well, this is how not only being ceremonially unclean, but there was, there was real terror in terms of what this is all about. So Leprosy was, was, was a bad deal. Naaman had it. So he went down to see the prophet Elisha. This story is recounted in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. And in verse 10, it says, Elisha sent a message to him. <laughs> and see, this is the first problem right here. You know, we go in and we want to see the guy in charge, right? I mean, you need something? We don't want to see some undersecretary who is the ambassador to X, Y. No, no. I want to talk to the guy. I want to talk to the head man. I want to talk to the lead surgeon here. I want to talk. So he was thinking, well, the man of God's going to come out and do a thing here. He says, go wash yourself seven times and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But it says, Naaman went away and said what? I thought that he would. Here we go. How many Christians get into this same thing because they've watched something on television and they went to some meeting where folk came down front and the man or woman of God put their hand on them and something happened and they think then that every time that there's a need that they just need to go find the man or woman of God, get to the altar fast enough and somehow, uh-oh, just got real. That's why when you find most of the time, you don't see Pastor Brett and I queuing, uh, standing down here and having people queue up for us because there are dozens of people in this church that are skilled and have faith and can pray for you. I thought he'd surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot, cure me of leprosy. He had an expectation. And he just, it says he turned and went off in a rage. Rage. Unfortunately, he had some servants that ran after him. He says, are you crazy? <laughs> Say, listen, son, you've got an opportunity to get right here. Why don't you at least give it a shot? Why don't you humble yourself long enough to do what the man of God says do, and maybe you'll get healed? And it says he did it. 
And it says his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. We get offended with folk, but then we get offended with God. Now, I know that sounds a little bit insane. But you and I both know if you get real that you've been offended with God. That somehow there was an expectation that God was going to move and pay that thing off. That God was going to move and your aunt or your grandmother wasn't going to die. That God was going to raise them up off that bed. And we can say, well, I mean, and we can try to gloss over it all you like. But I got to tell you, sometimes we just need to call it what it is. God, I'm offended. Because I had an expectation that you were going to do a thing in a certain way in a certain time and it didn't happen. Jesus had it happen in his own family. Cousin John. John the Baptist. John. I mean, no greater prophet. These were Jesus' words. I'd love to have that on my business card or on my website. Imagine, John, no greater prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, that's, that ain't bad right there. So John's, John is the man. I mean, prior to Jesus, John is the man. John's imprisoned. So here's John. He spent all of his life, you know, eating bugs and wearing ugly clothes and you know, spending most of the day in a river, he's all shriveled and wrinkly and cold and, I mean, preaching and doing all of this stuff. And he finds himself in jail and Jesus can't find it in his schedule. To even come visit the man. He's so busy. This is John the Baptist. They grew up together. They were buds, family. John paved the way for Jesus' ministry. And John finds himself jammed up. And Jesus doesn't even show up. Wow. Matthew 12, 11, excuse me. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one, or should we expect someone else? Now, remember, John had already made the identification of who Jesus was. Do you remember? When Jesus is walking up to be baptized, and John said, I don't think so. No, no, you should be baptizing me. There was no confusion in John who Jesus was. This wasn't an identification or a revelation problem. This was an issue of offense. And Jesus said, go back and tell John what you hear and see the blind receive the sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is preached. Verse 6, Matthew 11, listen to this. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Another translation that says, blessed is the man who does not become offended because of me. Offended. And John ended his life offended with Jesus.
What a glorious start and what a tragic end because of offense. And John was imprisoned in more ways than one. You see, Proverbs 18 that talks about that fortified city and barred gates, our offenses become their own prison that like unforgiveness, they lock up not only ourselves but those with whom we're offended. We have personal offenses. We have those that are direct actions against us. And then we have transferred offenses, which become personal offense. Transferred offenses. Why? Because someone said something. You know, so-and-so, he messed me up. He jacked me around. He disappointed me. You know, and then you, all the emotions begin to come out, and we begin to sort of emotionally regurgitate on one another. And then the next thing you know, it's like sneezing on somebody. We've transferred that offense. And now they're infected. And then they go and sneeze on somebody else, and they're infected. Spurgeon wrote, We cannot shut our ears as we do our eyes, for we have no ear lids. Yet, it's possible to seal the portal of the ear so that nothing contraband will enter. Hmm. So how do we do that? First of all, we reject false accusations based on bad information. I'm giving you a list here. Rejecting false accusations based on bad information. Number two, secondhand criticism. Everyone is an expert. Not. You weren't there. You have no context. Gossip. This is the sneezing on one another. Very unsavory way of explaining it, but I think you get it. When I pastored in North Carolina, I told my congregation, I said, there are two ways to get an immediate appointment with me. Fast track, HOV. One, unrepentant sex sin. I said the second is gossip. You want to fast track to my office, they're the two ways to get there. And the reality is the latter has destroyed more churches than the former. And you and I both know it to be true. My wife and I bought a car. A 1975, this was somewhere around 1990, trying to think here, 94. So a 20-year-old car. We bought it because we could pay cash for it. It was like a, it was like a 190D. You know, if you know anything about these cars, they can't get out of their own way. They don't have enough engine to even move the weight of the car. I mean, it is, it is a vehicular equivalent of a slug. So we bought this vehicle thinking, okay, it's a frugal thing to do. We're paying cash for it. And we had this car, and, and I'll never forget we were on vacation in this car, and my kids looked down, and they said, Daddy, we can see the road. I said, great, just watch the road out of the window. They said, no, no, we really, we can see the road right under our feet. We found that the entire floorboard of the car was rusted out. But that was only after our car developed vehicular leprosy. 
and the entire roof began to peel off because we didn't realize that it had been in a hailstorm prior to our wonderful ownership of this fine automobile. And to cover the problem, someone had taken what is the equivalent of automobile cake icing. It's called Bondo. And Bondoed the entire car. There was no metal. It was all Bondo. And so all the paint, Pastor Brett, began to peel off. We had a green leprous Mercedes. But that's not why we sold the car. We sold the car because gossip began to move through the church. Who does he think he is? Who does our pastor think that he is that he can drive a Mercedes? Pastor's got a Mercedes. Who does he think he might be? So I got rid of the busted Mercedes that I had paid cash for. And I bought a Honda Accord that I made payments on for five years. Gossip. But see, people had no context of why we had bought this car. Are you with me? And you say, well, obviously it was a mistake. God judged the car. I got all that. (laughs) Proverbs 26.20 says, without wood, a fire goes out. And without gossip, a quarrel goes dies down you see we choose just don't repeat it or better yet just choose not to listen people start telling me something about their life or sin or somebody please don't tell me that don't i don't need to know that even in even in the confines of my private office i say do i need to know this because if i don't don't tell me Trust me, Pastor Brett and Pastor Danelle, Pastor Sean, we've got more information. We don't need it. Seriously. Jesus knows. I don't need to. Don't repeat it. Better yet, don't listen. And then we ask ourselves some simple questions. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Before we open our mouth. Is it true? Otherwise, it's gossip. It's a lie. Is it necessary? Otherwise, it's gossip. And is it kind? Otherwise, it's unloving. Luke 6.45 says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. I don't know about you, but I want to have good things stored in my heart. Not only about the things of God, but about each one of you. Number four, are you part of the problem? And are you part of, or are you part of the solution? If not, step off. Step off. I'm trying to give you some offense uh, protection tonight. Proverbs 11, 13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Proverbs 17, 9, he who covers over an offense does what? Promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter does what? Separates close friends. 1 Peter 4, 18, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Saints, listen to me. 
Bible says offenses will come. I've had situations, relationships, I've gotten offended. Doesn't mean I was right in my offense. But that's why we need the Holy Spirit to come to us and, he, and, and quicken to us. You know what? You're offended. What you think is revelation is just offense. What you think is a necessity to warn someone else is just an offense. You know, in the church, we've got all kinds of, we've got all kinds of language and ways that we can kind of make it look pretty good. The reality is when it comes right down to it, it's just offensive offense. Tonight, Pastor Danelle, come on up here with me. As we started last week, as you know, we're going to have a time of prayer now. So we're going to officially, quote, end the service. But if you'd like to stay and pray, we're going to have people along the walls and along the front here. We're going to get in small groups and we're going to pray. Then as I, Pastor Danelle and I were talking this afternoon, it seemed right before the Lord that we would conclude this moment within your small groups of prayer with communion. That we would come together around the table and we would deal with the offense. With God. Like Naaman where your expectations got dashed. And then offense with one another. So that's how we want to do this. So let me pray for you. Those of you that need to go, feel free to leave. Pastor Danelle will give you instructions for that from there. Lord Jesus, help us tonight hear something by your spirit. Lord, thank you that, Lord, you had every right to be offended with us. You had great expectations. And yet, God, you knew from the very beginning we were going to disappoint you. And yet covenant prevailed. God, help us love deeply. Love as brothers. Move beyond defensive offense. Break it down, tear it down once and for all. God, any place whereby which we have been party to that offense, not even knowing as we repeated, maybe we even did it carelessly and we called it intercession. God, help us now by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church.